Pat Cassidy spent more than 50 years in news radio, and I spoke to him at WBBM News Radio right before he retired. The last time I interviewed him for this podcast was about 10 years ago, and you can still find that interview at podcast.radiogirl.us. So this is a follow-up to that interview. First of all, I just want to say that, and I really mean this, you are a uh, really cool guy, and I cannot believe you've been in radio for 50 years, and... I just want to ask you straight out, um, how did have you kept it real all these years? Um, gee, I don't know. I guess by just being myself, Margaret. First of all, thank you for having me. And uh, I'm a big fan of yours, as you know, and your talents. And uh, not only on the air, you're a great writer that maybe some people don't realize you are. But uh, it's great to be here. Um, I guess just being myself, just being natural, I'm, I'm one of those people that sound about the same off the air as I do on the air. And not everybody's like that. So that's kind of my attitude to um, just being myself. And I think my philosophy of radio works into that in that most people, I think, listen to the radio by themselves, especially in the morning. And therefore, you really have a one-on-one relationship with that person. You're talking to that person. And as a result, you talk normally, naturally, too, like you and I are talking now, versus talking to a group, talking, announcing to a large group. Well, I don't do that, because in my mind, I know that most people aren't a large group when they're listening. And I think early on in my career, I played a little mind game with myself, where I knew when certain people from my own personal life were listening. I knew when my dad was listening, he was always around 7 o'clock. So I was talking to him. I knew when my daughter was listening. I knew when my golf buddies were listening and my wife and and so on and so forth. So I would actually kind of picture them in my mind and talk to them uh, one-on-one. So I guess as far as keeping it real and sounding real and and being natural, and which I guess is what your question is, uh, that's it. Um, Just kind of a mind game and being myself. Well, another thing is I've been very lucky to work with you, and it's really crazy hours, but... Well, I also noticed, and this is totally true, that you're also very cool off the air. You also give really good advice, because I know I asked uh, for advice very early on. And I guess uh, my question is, how have you been able to achieve such success, but still be, in my opinion, very personable and communicative? I mean, and, um, and uh, you know, I'd say modest. Modest? Well, <clears throat> um. I don't know. Again, I guess it just goes to, to being myself. Um, and I don't really think, and this isn't false praise, I know what I do is unique in that if you, it's, it's a unique job set, it's a job skill. Uh, not everybody can do this. But to me, it's relatively easy. Um, and therefore, it it's not that hard. So you think maybe almost anybody could do it. So therefore, I really don't want to get too full of myself uh, and my talents. Uh, for that reason. Uh, But as far as uh, giving advice, you alluded to that. I learned a long time ago that it's really important when people ask you questions. I'm a little hoarse hoarse here. As you can tell, I've been on the air for five hours, and you and I are talking about 10 minutes after I got off the air, so I'm a little hoarse. Apologize that, everybody. But uh, in giving advice, I I learned a long time ago, never give false praise, because that can actually be more harmful than not saying anything at all. Because by giving false praise, and I'm not talking about you in particular, I'm just talking about in general. What you're doing is, if someone's asking you advice, therefore they 
value your opinion, they look up to you or whatever. So your opinion has impact. So if you're going to give them false advice or false praise, you might steer them in the wrong direction. You, they think that they're better than they are, that they're doing something that is really good when it really isn't that good, and they're reinforced by you giving false praise. So therefore, I, I really learned a long time ago not to do that, um, that it's just be- generally better to give no praise or give something, you know, kind of a noncommittal, uh, bland type of opinion or something. It depends on the case, the individual and what, what the advice is they're seeking. But I think that uh, I think that's really important not to do that, and I I've tried not to do that for many years. So when I say I'm a big fan of yours and your writing, and I've read your book, and by the way, you all should read the book. And I will tell you this, and you know I'm very honest, it's not my type of book. It's it's romance, and and romance is not my thing. I'm a big reader. I read a book a week, a lot of fiction, um, and it's not my type of book. And I went into your book kind of skeptical. Well, okay, Margaret Rose, I'm going to read it. And it was good, and it kept me till the end. So, um, and that's real praise uh, that uh, I'm sharing with you, and I've told you this before privately, and I'm telling during the podcast now. So, there you go. Thank you. And I knew that when you got it, it wasn't your type of book, but I really appreciate the compliment. And the book is called Wicker Park Wishes, and that is a shameless plug. But okay, <laughs> that's all right. Hey, you got to toot your own home because if right. you don't, no one else will. Yeah. So. But my, I guess my question is, um, I did ask you this in the previous, We, I interviewed you some years ago, but how do you stay focused in this very tough business when there are people playing games around or haters, et cetera? Seriously, how do you? How do you stay focused when there's haters around? I guess... <clears throat> or envious people. Or envious something. people. Well, that's human nature. I think there's, I guess if people are envious of you, you're doing something well and there's something to be envied. Uh, so you can kind of take that to heart and feel better about yourself if somebody's envious of you. As far as haters, well, you know, I, I've had my share. We all have them. It's human nature. And does it ever bother me? Of course, um, it does. Everyone has feelings. Me too. And, uh, you know, it's the old uh, the old thing about you can have 10 comments about you online, and they're all good, and then one's bad. And what do you focus on? The bad one. Um, and, and I do too. Um, so I guess just trying to put it in perspective and, uh, you know, not taking it to heart and not carrying it around. I guess that's one way to stay focused and, and carry, keep my eye on the prize. You know, what do I want to do and, and what do I want to accomplish and what are my goals and trying to stay focused on that, I'd say would be my answer to that. And uh, some other advice you gave me that was excellent was, um, if you're dealing with somebody who's more difficult in the business, it's just business. Like, don't deal with them on the personal level. Just deal with them. Do what you have to do. It ain't it ain't personal. It's business, as I think of the way I phrased it. Yeah. It ain't personal. It's business. That's something I didn't come up with. I've heard that before many times, but I do believe that that in in the business world, at the radio station, or wherever you are, whatever business you're in, generally speaking, it is just business. Somebody is trying to. Your boss is trying to, to get you to do something or do something better, and it, it isn't personal. Uh, they may be actually like you, but they're pushing you. Um, so you have to keep that in mind, and I think that that's important just to keep that frame of mind for yourself when you're commenting on other people. And when you cross that line and make it personal, then it, it, it accomplishes nothing. Then it, everything can break down, and their communication is poor because now that person is thinking about other things than they should be thinking about. They're thinking about personal things versus the task at hand, whatever that may be, a report that you're working on or 
something you're building or whatever. So, um, yeah, it, it's not personal, it's business. And that's been my mantra for a long time. And again, uh, Margaret, I didn't come up with that. I've, I've heard that elsewhere and I've probably read it many times as well. So you've been in radio for many years and you're not 20 years old. What are some things that you've learned over those years? Um, well, I'm 71 years old. I've been in business. And you don't seem it, seriously. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, you know, I think people, when I tell people my age, most times they'll say, what? Really? Nah, get out of here. Um, but I certainly look 60 anyway. But in any event, I've been in the business for 51 years, getting up at 2.30 a.m. for almost all those 51 years. There's a couple little exceptions. When I was at WLS, I was getting up a little later for 18 months, but not much. Uh, but basically, 2.30 a.m. for 51 years. Um, so that, that certainly, <laughs> that can get you focused right there uh, in terms of your career. What was your question again? I started digressing into my sleep hours. Yeah, um, what are some things that you've learned throughout the years? So, for instance, when you first got into the business or just started working in general, you, had, you were a certain way, you had certain opinions or a certain approach. And then now, 50 years later, what have you learned? Well, I've learned, I think early on, I learned not to be a one-trick pony, uh, to learn as much about the business as I could. Um, news was my thing. That's why I went to school, journalism school. Uh, but when I first got into radio in college, I was just talking to my roommate in the dorm, and a kid stuck his head in the room and said, who's talking there? I said, me, so what's it to you? He says, no, I'm not trying to get smart with you. It's just that I heard you talking all the way down the hall, and you weren't talking very loud, and I understood every word you said. Man, you got great pipes. I went, okay. He said, I'm the student manager of the college radio station, and uh, why don't you be a DJ? And I said, DJ? I don't know anything about that. He says, oh, man, all you do is play rock and roll, and chicks call you on the phone all the time. But okay, I'll try that. So I think I just, that's how I got into it, even though I was a journalism student. And, uh, but I learned uh, to be a DJ. I learned production, because I really enjoyed production, something you do now at WEBM. I'm not as skilled as you are, and I certainly am not into the digital end. Now, my production skills go back to editing tape, splicing it together, <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, that's basically where my production ended back in the day. But, uh, you know, learning as many different things as I could about the business, um, even a little bit about sales. I'm the son of a salesman. My dad was a very good uh, pharmaceutical salesman and executive. And um, he, I learned some things from him. One of the things that he, he taught me is you got to ask for the order in life, whatever it may be. Uh, you got to ask for the order, whether it's for a raise or for this or for that. Because too many people go through life wishing things would happen and, you know, they try to get an answer, but they never ask for it. So I think that's one thing I learned, too, just in radio and in life, is asking for the order. Because what can they do? My dad used to say, they can't kill you. They can just say no. But generally, you put them on the spot, they'll often say yes because you put them on the spot because you asked for the order. So I learned that and, uh, and apl applying that to just various aspects of radio and life is certainly something I've learned. And again, learning many different aspects of radio, um, not just news, which is my first love. I'm, I, I'm into the news. I'm a news junkie when I'm away from the station. I'm, you know, reading news and the New York Times every Sunday morning uh, from cover to cover. So I think that's probably one of the main things about radio is, <clears throat> well, keeping it real, as you alluded to earlier, and uh, learning as many different aspects because, you know, I, I, I got to say, I've been in, in, involved in so many different formats, 
urban radio, which is another name for black radio. I was the only white guy on the air at WBBM, WBBMX, I should say, FM, the original 102.7, and uh, learned a tremendous amount from that. I was at a foreign language station where I was the English translator of a German guy, and my out cue was his phone number. I didn't even know what I was translating. I just read the English version, learning that. Um, and, of course, rock and roll and news, talk, so different formats as well. So I've learned that over the years. I mean, obviously, it's worked out for you being on the air, and a lot of people do want to be on the air, or they want to be in front of a camera or something. So let's say that somebody can't achieve that full time. What is your advice for that? That they can't be on the air or in front of a camera. Well, I don't know much about cameras. I mean, I've done a lot of TV. Uh, we did cutaways. Felicia and I did cutaways on Channel 2 in the morning for years. And I've done talk shows, public affairs talk shows and such. But TV is not my thing. I'm not, you know, a, a subscriber, uh, Marshall McLuhan, who's a, a, a philosopher, a, a media philosopher from back in the day. A, he talked about uh, the medium's message. So the... Strength for radio is you have a, a hot personality that comes through a cold medium radio, and it comes through the radio and kind of grabs that listener by the lapels and say, listen to me. Um, but that same strength is actually a weakness in TV because TV is the medium. It's hot. So you've got to be kind of cool. And that's why I've never really worked out in, uh, in TV that well. I don't think I'm a little, I think I'm a little clownish uh, when I get on TV. But I think, so, TV was never my thing, and I never really pursued it. Radio was it. But I would say that I think people that, that want to get on the air, um, they should just maybe study people who are, uh, listen carefully, try to model themselves. There's nothing wrong with copying people. Um, you know, there was uh, a Milton Burl used to say, stealing from, from one source is plagiarism. Stealing from many is research. So steal from a little of this, steal from me, steal from that person, you know, and you know, form your own personality and your own style. And, um, you know, you can, there's read out loud, talk out loud, you know, when you're by yourself. Sounds weird, but uh, that's what you're doing when you're in a studio. Basically right now, I'm talking to you in a studio, but I'm essentially talking everyone listening now into this microphone. And when I'm in that studio for five hours, I am literally by myself talking into a piece of metal. I mean... Talk about impersonal and a weird concept. So um, just practice uh, reading out loud and talking out loud, whether it's in your car or whatever. Um, you'll find yourself improving yourself that way. So that would be my advice. And, uh, you know, voice is important in radio, but not critical. Just a pleasant voice. You don't have to have a deep voice. Critical, just a pleasant voice is fine. And, uh, you know, talk in even tones and, uh, you know, try to soften up the edges. I know that one way to soften edges in your voice that you may have, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about anyone, is to work a little closer to the microphone like this. Talk softer. And that'll kind of smooth things out a little bit. So there's a tip for you if you want to get on the air. But in terms of the business, I mean, because it, it's not what it used to be when you were going into it. Can you just ex actually, can you explain what the business was like when you went into it? Well, um, I think it was very male-oriented. Uh, there weren't many women in, in business. In fact, I remember early on having a general manager who shall remain nameless talk about how women could never do news because they weren't credible. No one to take them seriously. And the main critics of women on the air are other women. It's not men. Women are, they'll just rip other women to death on the air. 
That's why they'll never be successful. Well, of course, that turned to be untrue. Um, but that was, I think, early. I'm talking about, you know, early 70s there <clears throat> and even college radio in the late 60s. And uh, so I think that's that was uh, thought to be true at the time, which wasn't. But, you know, back it was very rudimentary. We had carts. We had tape we edited with razor blades. And uh, we had teletype. You know, there wasn't computers. None of that stuff. And, uh, you know, you really had a piece of paper in your hand all the time. So that's how that's changed. I mean, it's just tremendously night and day now in terms of technology. And, of course, digital. There's no more tape or carts anymore. Uh, right now, I look at your production studio in front of you. I don't see any tape anywhere or any carts. It's all digital. Um, so that's changed a lot over the years. So from a technical standpoint, I would say probably more than anything else, technically, the radio has changed a lot. But still, it's essentially talking on the radio, talking into a microphone, talking to somebody one-on-one, just like it was in 1970. Let's say somebody can't get into the business uh, full-time like you've done. Because it sounds like you were able to grow, you know, um, but they can do a little of it maybe. But what advice do you have for people? Should they give up their dream? What should they do? Well, you got to pay your bills. So I would say, you know, don't give up your dream, but pay your bills. Now, when I started out in radio, I was making minimum wage, which at the time I want to say was about $1.80 an hour or something like that. And uh, I was on the air and my friends Everybody said, ooh, man, you're, a, you're on the air, man. You must be making some great bread. They didn't know I was making $1.85 an hour. I had to live, I had to live at home uh, right at first because I couldn't afford anything, uh, barely a car. So, uh, but, you know, you, you, you know, you've got to, you know, pay your dues and uh, I guess work and polish on yourself. But, you know, you got to work on the, on the side, too, to pay your bills. So, you know, can't forget that either. And also... Um I worked with various uh, on-air people, and you are very accepting of different kinds of people. Like, I know you're like this big guy. You're on the number one station, et cetera. You're on the air. You've been on the air for years, and but you don't have you don't treat people lower. But I've noticed that other on-air people they do. Like people are there to serve them, and if they don't serve them a certain way, they yeah. get very upset. So that's do you think that's nice part of, of your success? That's very nice of you to say. I guess and I know this from experience. Everybody, I. I <laughs> I guess. I mean, I really, I'm, you're getting me to self-analyze here in ways I've never really self-analyzed. So I guess, I guess that's helped me. Um, but I do try to, you know, do unto others. That's, a, you know, the golden rule, uh, I guess. And that's something else I've always believed. Uh, just do unto others and treat people the way you want to be treated, whatever they are. I mean, whether they're an entry-level position or whether they're my boss. If you If you see me with my bosses, I mean, the big bosses, I'm not talking about our immediate bosses here in the newsroom, but the bigger bosses. I kind of talk to them and treat them the same way. I mean, I'm respectful, but I don't kiss their butt. I just, I just talk. So, uh, you know, that's just me, just my personality. You know? And you were talking about voice earlier, and of course you have the classic great voice. Um, Very hoarse right now, as I said. I've been yeah, on the air for five hours. Every day also. <laughs> and, and at age 71, I, my voice does not have the endurance it used to have, so that's something I've noticed, but go ahead. Yeah, and um, but you have the classic voice. How have voices changed over the years, the style? Well, I think once upon a time, back in the day, um, deep you know, radio voices and, you know, talking kind of like a DJ was more in, more acceptable. Um, and I'm talking about a long time ago for DJs, 
and even newsmen, you know, 2020 news, you know, trying to pull your voice. And so I think delivery these days is, is much more natural. I mean, it helps to have a nice voice. That is definitely, it's like being on TV. It help, helps to be good looking when you're on TV, whether a man or a woman, because that's, again, human nature. People respond in a certain way to a nice voice or a nice looks and such. But, uh, you know, I think just, uh, you know, just just being yourself and such. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's changed that much. It's still essential to the thing. But I think in that way it's changed, not the emphasis quite on voice. Again, a pleasant voice is really all you need anymore for a man or a woman. Yeah, because I, I always think about old-time radio, and they always sound similar. I think yeah. it's also the technology, and they're very announcery. And then right. the sports guys, they sounded a certain way, and I think things have changed. Yep. Yeah, sports too. Although, you know, I'll tell you, sports, there's still a little bit of the old school of some of the sports you hear these days. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I don't think at this station, but I think elsewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, so that, and the, it does, old school ways, whether it's the Chicago stations, and that's what I grew up on, uh, or even network radio as well. Uh, it's changed, a little more natural these days. And then you mentioned being a news junkie. Have you always been a news junkie? Yeah, yeah, I have. I I, I remember a story I tell uh, as a boy. I was a newspaper delivery boy, and on Sundays you had to stuff the papers. You get the ads in one pile, and the paper here. You had to put the ads in the paper, stuff them, and then you set them aside. And then you make your deliveries. And I almost got fired because I'd sit on the stoop with my papers, and I'd start reading the papers and not doing my job and I was late delivering the papers and they got complaints and and my boss called my dad because again I was very young and said hey your boy he's 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 not getting things done he's not delivering and you better get it together I'm going to cut him loose and so my dad you know told me and I said okay so but I think early on I uh yeah I was always reading the news some of my earliest memories as a child were newsy kind of things I vaguely remember Fidel Castro taking over in Cuba. This is in the late 50s, and I was very young on television, little black and white square box we had in the living room. So one of my first memories ever is a news event, and uh, I tend to mark things in my life by what news events happened. You know, the JFK assassination in 63, you know, I can remember surrounding things surrounding that so yeah i guess i guess it's just always wanting to know what's going on i uh i get a thrill out of breaking news to this day i really get a thrill out of it my pulse rate goes up my respiratory goes up i get excited even about a closed expressway that's that's pretty lame and <laughs> i get excited about a closed expressway but that's i'm a radio news guy all news radio guy so um, it's in my blood. I just, I don't know why. I just like, I like knowing what's going on. And I like telling people because I can feel their reaction when I say, this just in, and somebody famous has died. And I will read read that. And I know people are, what? Oh, my goodness. Um, I remember uh, talking to my parents on the phone. This is many years ago, talking to my mother. And uh, I don't know why I'm referring so much to my parents. I normally don't but I am for some reason in my interview with you. But anyway, um, I'm talking to my mom. They were down in Tennessee, and my parents are down there. And, uh, and I'm talking to I said, oh, huh, why? What, what is it? I, said, I just saw on the wire that uh, Richard Burton died. <gasps> no. I said, yeah, I just cleared the wire. It's, you know, not a big thing. <gasps> no. And my dad's in the background, what, what? 
honey, Richard Burton died. No, he says the same thing. It's like I said, geez, I didn't know you guys are such big fans. Well, we're not, but you know, it's always such a shock. Um, so it's the same kind of thing. Doing a news bulletin of somebody dying or anything that I can just almost sense the audience's reaction. And that uh, uh, turns me on, I guess. You're listening to the Radio Girl Podcast with Margaret Larkin. And thanks to Jeff Davis, who's at jeffdavis.com. And just a reminder that I post journalist interviews every month for the Illinois News Broadcasters Association, which is at inba.net and at SoundCloud. I've been doing that for a few years. And then, you know, I always think about, um, you know, for instance, Walter Cronkite or whoever, when Kennedy was shot. And I mean, I've only seen the video, of course. Right. But I've talked to my, I talked to my dad about the experience. And what do you think, how do you think news has changed in that way with breaking news and so forth? Well, I mean, breaking news is still just that. Uh, this just in, and you try to be fast with it, fast and accurate. That's very important. Especially now in radio and TV, too, because social media usually beats you to the punch. And there's nothing you can do about it. But, of course, not everybody's on social media, so therefore you are breaking it out to many people who are listening. Um, so I think, uh, how's it changed? Well, it's essentially the same. I think there's a little bit too many much showcasing of breaking news that's really not that big a deal, you know. But breaking, this just in. There's a fire on the south side. Okay, well, what else? Well, we've got 211 alarm fire. Okay, uh, you know, so maybe you ought to wait to get a little more before you break in with that. But um, so a little bit more sensational now um, because uh, you're competing. It's, it's, you know, it is commercial radio, commercial TV. And uh, that all changed back in the late 80s when Reagan and company, uh, basically the Fairness Doctrine was gotten rid of. And you used to have to do news on radio. You had, your station had to do news, whatever your format was. So, and it was news news, but then they got rid of that requirement. So you only did news in some cases as a way to make money. So you used it more as a profit uh, motive news. So therefore it became a little more sensational. This is in the ladies, eighties and the nineties to what we have today. And now you've got a whole different thing now where it's polarizing and people are taking stations and networks are taking points of view, which I think is horrible. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. Um, CNN, I'll just say it. You know, I used to be a big fan. Now they're too left. They're, they're too left to center. And I, I don't want a left spin. I want the center. And, uh, and Fox, you know, forget about it. They're to the right. But I don't like that either. Um, just give me the center and let me decide. And now you can't find a lot of center anymore. And I think that's very unfortunate. Uh, the direction we're going in, I understand why. They're competing. They're trying to make money. I get it. I get it. But still, it's uh, for the sake of the country and the nation and the world, we've got to try to keep it in the center. Mass media, things have got to be vetted. Facts have got to be checked. They can't be rushed on the air, uh, whether it's social media or broadcast. Um, and it's very dangerous um, for the world. And that sounds a little kind of grandiose and, I don't know, maybe uh, exaggerated, but I don't think it is. Um, so we're going in a direction now I, I don't like, and I do don't see it changing. I think it's going to continue to leak in that direction. Um, there's nothing I can do about it because I'm retiring. So I'm mm. purely a consumer, Margaret, from now on. <laughs> but then on the flip side, 
it used to be just a few sources of news. So yeah. you were assuming it was center, but was it? I don't know, because there were only three sources or something. Yeah, like the three networks, and there was the Tribune and the Sun-Times, and uh, and the radio, there was a BBM, and there was uh, there was other all-news stations, too. Um, it was sent, not censored in the sense that they were trying to skew it one way or another? I, I don't think so. I think everyone went to journalism school. They learned the fundamentals of fairness, accuracy, and truth-telling, which is one of my mantras, you know, fairness, accuracy, truth-telling. I think everybody kind of had that. They they learned that, and you had to do that to compete because if you got off the mark and started, you know, spinning things, your boss is going to pull you in the office saying, what are you doing? I heard your report. Don't do that, or you're fired. <laughs> so... Um, I think there was just there were very few choices then because you're right there were a few, just a few networks and a few stations and a few newspapers, um, so I think they were a, as it was human nature. You did the best you could, you know. One source stories, especially of a controversial nature, are very dangerous. Got to get a second source. Um, anonymous sources can be very dangerous, but they can be very important too. So those have always been around. And uh, nowadays, you know, again, that's becoming a little bit more gray, and I'm not a big fan of that. So, yeah. So, what what will it be like to be a consumer? I mean, when was the last time you were actually a pure consumer of news? A pure consumer? Well, I am every day when I'm at home. I mean, like I say, I'm a big fan of the Sunday New York Times, which is a little bit left of center. We all know that, but I think it's for the most part fair and objective. Um, so I'm a consumer all the time now. Um, I think I see through things because of my experience. I don't have to read the whole article. I can get it in the first paragraph or two or three. Um, and I can usually pick up on if that writer is spinning it a little bit. Um, I can, because of the use of certain you know, adjectives and such that I don't, and this is rare. They usually are pretty good. But once in a while I say, eh, this guy or this lady is writing this thing uh, with their opinion too much, and I'll discard it. So as a consumer, that's all you can do. You know, you, And in my case, I'm an experienced you know, news guy, so I maybe see things that other people don't see. Yeah, I mean, and um, of course, there's a whole history with newspapers. I mean, we're not newspaper people, but it wasn't always objective, and they didn't try to be objective. Back in the day, you're exactly the day, right. right. I, yes, there was very strong editorial. I mean, you're, you're really getting very historical here, Margaret, but you're absolutely right. I'm talking more contemporary times, you go back earlier in the 20th century, the 19th century, they made no pretense about giving opinions and uh, they'd campaign for, in hard news articles, they'd campaign for a candidate. Um, so you're exactly right. So really a hundred years ago or less, give or take, uh, it really was bad in that way. Yeah, because I think when people talk about the objectivity of news, they don't look at the older history because there are these guys who own these these uh, empires, and then they would say, "Okay, I want to make sure that so and so does not, sure. you know, screw me over." So I'm going to make sure the editorial's this way. They'd hire certain people, or they wanted to get somebody elected. But that's a whole other discussion. We're not, like I said, we're not newspaper people. No, William Randolph Hearst and uh, the McCormick here in Chicago, and so yes, there are many examples of. It. You're exactly right, um, but that's, you know, I think you know Murdoch and and uh, Fox still has that, um, and. Uh, you know, MSNBC sort of has that, but that's, they're very open. That's, that's their thing. People know when you tune, you're going to get right or left. So as a consumer, and then unfortunately people that are of a certain leaning will only consume that, which is too bad because they're only, they're being spoon fed stuff they already believe and not, you know, not getting the other side. And you know what? They don't really care about getting the other side, which is too bad.
Yeah, and then there are also um, organizations that try to be in the middle, and they'll say, hey, we're not biased, but it just seems like the consumers aren't really interested in that. It's It seems, you, you may have a point there, um, that, that people want a certain bias, is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, um, I guess, I guess so. Um, because you have your own preconceived notion of what the world is in your head, and you fill those spaces of preconceived notion with information, cherry pick it from a source that you believe. So is it uh, dishonest on your part? Uh, probably not. I mean, you think you're doing the right thing. Um, I don't think you are, but who am I to say? Um, you know, I, uh, I have my favorites too and things I don't like. So. You remember, I won't name any names. I remember there was uh, somebody who said, we're going to give you more intelligent news or something like that. That was the angle. Uh-huh. And it didn't do well. It was local. Um, and um, because they, you know, they, they knew that there were certain things that were being put on the air to get ratings. And they're like, we're not going to play these games. We're just going to do it. But, you know, the audience didn't want that. This is a while uh, ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I know what you're referring to. But, I mean, the audience, generally speaking, they want news. People say, why isn't there more good news out there? You know, well, you know what? There is some good news out there. But a steady diet of, of it, people are just going to, I think, this is my own opinion, if I turn on the TV, radio, or the newspaper, and it's all a bunch of good news, my first reaction will be, "Hmm, must not be anything going on." If that's what they're, if they're, you know, doing a lost dog is found story, and uh, those things are great. Human, I love human interest stories. I very much do, um, and they're important to include. But uh, too much good news, I think, gives the impression that things aren't happening. I think it goes to a basic instinct. You want to get heavy for a second here? Okay. That we're all in survival mode. We're trying to take care and protect. As a man, I want to take care of my family from, uh, you know, the other cavemen and, and from the dinosaurs. So I'm always on the lookout for things of a threatening nature to myself and my family. Uh, this is a, just an analogy I'm giving here, of course. So therefore, my ears perk up to danger to threats, to uh, bad news, um, because it goes to a primal kind of instinct for survival. And, it's, and I think that, that humans, that's, that's built into our nature. Survival is, uh, what is, survival and the sex drive are the two main things that drive human beings, and, and that hasn't changed. So, uh, and, and I don't think ever will. It's in our DNA, it's in our nature. Um, so, you know, as a result, I think we're drawn to negative news uh, for that reason. Is that too heavy? Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and also I was going to say that um, all good news all the time reminds me of the Soviet Union when things were happening and they had images of people yeah. farming. Right. And also some other current countries. That China are and if you know, the North Korea and, you know, it's all for the good of the country and everything is wonderful. And, yeah, I mean, you would lose credibility because people know they instinctively know it's not all good news. It's not. There's bad things that happen. There's bad people that do bad things all the time. Criminals, politicians, businessmen, uh, and women. Um, so we know that. And so where's that information? And know what's out there. So don't give me all this, you know, uh, rose-colored uh, glass stuff. Give me the real stuff, too. Yeah, I was asking another thing about um, how do you deal with your public versus private, not persona, but your life? Um, you know how you're a public figure, everybody knows who you are pretty mm-hmm. much, but then you've got your private life. So how do you protect that or live through those two different angles? Well, 
I think in my case, I'm Pat Cassidy. If you're just tuning in, by the way, I'm Pat Cassidy, morning anchor at WBBM for another two days, and then I'm retired. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I th- one way that I hide, if, if that's what you're asking, or protecting myself, my identity, uh, is uh, Pat is my middle name. It's not my first name. So I list a lot of things under my first name. And uh, then, you know, people, you know, if they're looking, can't find me. Um, so, but, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, I don't think there's that big of a demand to, you know, search me out and, and that kind of thing. There is some, I think, always has been. And you'll get into situations where, you know, being on the radio gives you notoriety. You're, you're a minor celebrity, you know, and all that stuff. So, you know, you do accept that. That's not why I went into the business to be a celebrity or to even make money. I did it because I love it. And that's one of another fundamental thing. I don't think you'll get anywhere by getting into the business to be a celebrity and to make money. Get into it because you love it, because then you'll do it well. Because if you do it for those other reasons, those are somewhat impure, and you probably won't do it as well. Um, so, you know, it goes with it, and I do like it. I will not lie. I Certain restaurants we go to, and the owner, I know the owner, and we'll get a good table. Um, so I do like that. And and retiring, I think that's going to be one of the things I'll miss. It'll fade away. I know it will. In a couple of months, a year, whatever it'll be. Um, I'm not going to disappear or fall off the planet, but I know that'll go away or diminish. And I'm prepared for that. Um, so, you know, but I think protecting my celebrity, notoriety, whatever your question is, has never been that big a deal. You know, I just... Just myself, and if somebody wants to make a big deal about it, they can also run into some negatives, too. Um, yeah, I heard you, you know, uh, and then you get slammed for your news media thing, and, you know, you people of this, bit, 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 bit. and uh, once in a while you get this random, I don't know, hatred, a hater, because I guess you are a minor celebrity, and they assume you make money, and all of a sudden you're just like, wow, you're hating on me, I don't even know you, man, what? What's your attitude? So it can also be a little bit of that, too. But goes with the turf. Yeah, I think that's why um, you and some other guys I've met in radio seem useful because you're so passionate about it. And other people I've met, too, even people behind the scenes. And it keeps them uh, vibrant. So yeah. I was going to say also about, I guess, about the public and personal is uh, opinions. Because some people are very good at being very professional and not revealing their opinions. And then some people off the record will say certain things. And how do you keep those two separate? I know you're, you're almost retiring, but still, how have you kept those two separate? Well, I'm, you know, I'm never given my opinions on the air, except on what I call innocuous, lame subjects. You know, I'll give my opinion on the weather that, boy, this weather's terrible or something like that. Um, and I'll imply my opinion about sports teams. Well, you know, the Bears blew it again. But those are, uh, those are not important issues of the day. And I think it's okay to, as a news anchor, to give opinions on the weather and the sports. And the traffic's terrible again. Well, that's an opinion. But, you know, that's okay. Um, but I've never, I'd never, I'd like to think that the audience doesn't know whether I voted for Trump or Biden. Uh, they don't know if I'm conservative or liberal. Uh, there's an assumption probably I'm liberal because I'm with the media, but that's okay. Um, so I've tried to always just be cognizant of words and intonation of voice. And that's important, too, when you're reading the news. If you say, President Biden claims we're out of the woods. Well, I just, by saying claims, 
that way, I just gave an opinion um, that I don't believe him or something. But President Biden claims we're out of the woods. Say it like that. And off the air, well, I got my opinions, and I share them sometimes, and I, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just repress them because I live a life so many hours on the air. I'm on the air so much for so many hours that you kind of train yourself not to give opinions, and that can bleed over to your personal life. I have them, but sometimes I just don't give them because, you know, I don't, want, I don't need the argument, so I don't give the opinion. Yeah, and also I guess that... Um what I'm thinking about is when you are talking to people, even within the business, so you're off the air, and then what I've noticed, this is what I've noticed being in the business, is that there are certain people you can trust to give your opinion, politically or whatever, and then there are certain people you really don't want to, and you want to keep it professional. So, but you're, so the thing is, you're on the air, plus people know who you are, plus you meet various people in the business and outside. So, do you have layers of trust, like of the certain kinds of people you talk oh, sure. to? Okay. Sure. You know, I'm in the family, and we were just at Christmas, and I've got a brother who has is a radically different opinion from everybody else in the family, including me. And uh, and he's, you know, forbidden to get too far into politics because we know it's where they're going to go. And then my brother-in-law is going to, you know, spring into action and it's not going to be pretty. And uh, so, but, you know, generally speaking, and I'll give opinions to family. I've got a big golfer. I've got a lot of golf buddies and we'll get out there and talk about things. And, you know, people ask my opinion a lot too. They assume that I know a lot, and actually I do. I mean, not bragging, but I'm a news anchor man. I know, I know a little bit about a lot of things, Margaret. A little bit about a lot of things. You know what? I'm an expert in nothing. <laughs> I'm really not an expert in much of anything, but I could talk about just about anything. Because I'm an anchor man. I report for five hours a day. I know a little of this, a little of that. Topics that are so remote that you'd be surprised I know anything about them. So people, because of that, people ask me opinions. So what do you think is going to happen uh, with you know the economy or with the White House or blah blah blah? And I'll give them if they ask me, I'll give them an opinion. You know, not on the air, but I'll tell them what I think. And if they like it, fine. If they don't like it, well, don't ask me. <laughs> well, so any other thing, anything else you want to say? Because uh, I'm interviewing you, and you're almost done here. Yeah, I'm almost and you're out almost the door. done with your radio career, although we don't know what you're going to do in the future because you could be doing something else that's media-oriented or anything. Uh, you know, I don't have any plans right now. I really don't. Um, I've got a friend who's in uh, the radio production business, and uh, I have an agent. I've had, yes, I've had an agent for years who thinks I, she could uh, form me, uh, mold me into a commercial voice guy to do a voiceover stuff and and such, and maybe I'll do some of that. That's not involved with opinions. That's just basic broadcasting. But I haven't really even started that, and I don't know how I'll feel. You know, I'm a grandfather. I love those kids, and I got my hobbies, and I want to sleep. And with my wife, hop in the car at the spur of the moment and take a road trip. Um, and that's really where my focus is. So I can't say what I'm going to do in the future, if anything. Probably something, but I couldn't tell you what it is. And you know what? I don't care. I may miss it, but after maybe a month, I might, might not miss it at all. So, you know, I'm off into the wild blue yonder, Margaret. Off into the wild blue yonder and see what we got. Let me know what you think. Email me at margaret at radiogirl.us. You can also call or text me at 716-202-TALK. That's 8255. And like the Radio Girl Facebook page. You can find out about who's coming up next, see pictures, listen to audio, and more.